You're listening to Grad Malaysia's TMI podcast. Hello everyone and welcome back to Grad Malaysia's TMI podcast. I'm your host Vimala and today's topic is a very interesting one in my opinion, especially for fresh graduates just stepping into the working world or still on the hunt for your dream job. And that is bad job experiences. Are you a student who is worried you might end up interning at a bad or toxic company? Or do you already have some experience working in a place you would consider hell on earth? It is normal to feel stressed out about little things like disagreements on a project, annoying co-workers, and tight deadlines. When you are put in an environment where you have to deal with a ton of people with different personality types, ideas, beliefs, ethics, and principles, Getting your feathers ruffled is a normal part of a working adult's life. But sometimes you might end up in a situation that might be a little too stressful, upsetting, harmful, or straight up toxic. We might have heard stories of such experiences from our relatives, friends, and random people on the internet. However, it can sometimes be hard for someone who is just setting foot into the working world to spot these red flags early on, or knowing how and when to call it quits Once the problems have been identified, I personally learned it the hard way myself. While I was doing research for this episode, I thought maybe I should try asking some of my colleagues if they had any negative experiences in their past jobs. And boy was I surprised with the stories they had to tell. Some fresh graduates might step into the working world with high hopes and expectations about what their dream jobs or career path is going to look like. But the reality is that while there are many great employers out there who do truly value their employees, it isn't always sunshine and rainbows. And one really bad experience might sometimes be the last straw to break one's spirit and change their outlook on their adult life. Which is why it is important to know what the red flags and toxic signs are and what to do if you find yourself in such situations. The obvious ones might be racism and xenophobia, bosses who don't appreciate you, or negative colleagues who make your job miserable. But some of these experiences fall under exploitation and breach of contract, which is something that an employee should know to spot and protect themselves from. This is what Jessica faced in the company where she previously worked at. The previous company that I worked for is a China company. It was quite a culture shock for me as the management style tends towards paternalistic with managers telling people what to do and employees doing what they are told unquestioningly, even if they suspect the boss is wrong. Strong hierarchies often lead to a lack of initiative at the lower levels. The information does not flow freely around a strong hierarchy, but follows hierarchical lines. The employees will give information to their boss who will then pass it horizontally to a counterpart in a different function before it is pushed down the chain again to the relevant party. When the information is sent back, it follows the same path in reverse. Bowing or nodding to the bosses is the common greeting. Introductions are formal, so you should use formal titles when addressing someone, along with their surname. For example, if you want to address your boss, you should call him their surname, along with brother. And in Mandarin, we call him, for example, Mingge, which means brother Ming. I think what Jessica meant here was patriarchal, 
as in relating to a system of society or organization controlled primarily by men. While the tide has changed over the years for workplaces to be fairer and more inclusive with all genders and ethnicities, it is not that surprising to still find some companies, especially in Asia, that still lean towards this system. Strict vertical hierarchies are also gradually becoming something of the past for a lot of growing companies, as team-based structures, network structures, and open office concepts are becoming the norm. Cutting out needless bureaucracy can sometimes be just what an organization needs to allow a free flow of ideas and collaboration, and can also increase productivity levels. This isn't to say that hierarchies are outdated practices that don't work, as they might be more suited to larger multinational corporations, as long as they're done right without suppressing an employee's individuality and contributions. Respect is also something that is a given when working in a society that values age and experience. However, putting all these issues together with the fact that such a strict protocol of respect for the senior management is required definitely does not sound like a very fun place to work. And Jessica's story doesn't end there. I was a brand executive in that company. And one day, my boss asked me to go to the company warehouse after working hours to help with packing the goods. I thought it was just a short time, but I didn't expect to work in the warehouse from 6.30pm to 4am that night. I didn't even get paid for OT. But the company only allowed me to claim petrol at a distance of 15km from the HQ to the warehouse. I didn't do anything to fight back against my boss at that time because I was still new in that company and my colleagues said that this kind of situation had happened several times and they have been used to it. So I didn't want them to think that I was unwilling to contribute to the company. At that time, I was not brave enough to refuse to do something that is not in my job description. And I didn't speak out my thoughts to the employer. I was still an MBA part-time student and I then noticed the overwork culture was hurting my work-life balance after the situation happened. Another trait that young employees are expected to have is adaptability to a company's working culture which can often be mistranslated to just doing what you're told without question or complaint. And as the newbies, it would be difficult for us to speak out against such injustices or to even ask for what we clearly know is within our rights as an employee for fear of upsetting the other staff or managers and looking like a bad employee. The last thing we want is to work in an environment where everyone hates us or could make our life much worse but it is crucial to know when and how to set our boundaries and when to talk to our supervisors, upper management or even HR to express our discontent with the way things are, especially if you have it as bad as Jessica did. Having to do some minor tasks outside of our job description is common, but having to do a whole other job way past working hours without compensation is highly exploitive and should not be brushed off as that's just how things are here. However, make sure it is safe for you to do so first. If you think voicing out might not actually make a difference or could possibly make your situation much worse, the best thing to do might just be to move on to another company. Although the company offered me a high salary, I should speak out 
and fight for freedom and a healthy lifestyle. I should also think that this is not normal, although my colleagues have been used to it. Refusing doesn't mean that I don't want to contribute to the company, it's just that this is not the way I want to contribute, and this overwork culture shouldn't be continued and normalized. When you successfully land a new job, the first and most important thing you should do is to read your contract thoroughly before signing it and keeping it safely with you once you have. It is also important to clarify on any points or fine print in the document so that you are clear on what is expected of you, what you are entitled to, and more details about the job. This piece of legal document could come in handy for you in case of a breach of contract by the employers, and if they still decline to stick to it, this could be your ticket out of the company or to get you what you are owed by them. Examples of such situations are like when your pay is consistently delayed or your employer contributions are unpaid, as was faced by Sarah at her previous company. Okay, first of all is that they do not pay our salary on time. And on top of that, we were actually not paid our EPF and SOXO even though it is our basic right and it is written in our offer letter. Okay, so that's a clear violation of employee right, you know. So when that thing happened, right, we were kind of lenient about it because at that time, we knew that the company was having some financial issue. But then as the months go on, right, the issue dragged on and we were getting paid later and later. Initially, it was a few days late Gradually, it turns to a week late, two weeks late, and then finally, we were not paid for two months. So that was quite bad. And in the end, right, because it's like the final straw, so why do we want to continue working there, right? Because we are trying to survive here and we are not working for free. So how we resolved this is we just reported it to the labor office and then we settled our salary there with our former employers. It also helps to have several co-workers on your side to fight the system when you know there has been a clear violation of employee rights, especially if it affects not just you. Having the support of others in a similar situation could also give you the courage you need to get what is owed to you. Regardless of whether you end up confronting the management, taking them to the labor offices and courts, or just using it as your reason for resignation, your contract could just be your lifesaver. Do bear in mind though that a breach of contract can go both ways, so make sure you are on top of your work and haven't broken any of your own responsibilities before pursuing your employers. There were other issues too that contributed to Sarah's eventual departure from her previous company, but having to work without getting paid on time is certainly not something an employee should ever have to put up with. And then of course you have the classic toxic behaviour like racism, as told through Nina's experience. Previously, a very significant experience happened to me on my first job. What happened was my employer made a remark about how Malay being lazy. He said Malay was lazy is because they don't eat pork. It was my first time hearing this and it is very unpleasant, even for the rest of the Malays who were there witnessing the situation. On a side note, I am the minority. My employer is an insurance agent that hired me as a graphic designer and his office that I work in have 
90% of the same culture. Looking back at this incident made me wish I should have told him that I've seen a hardworking Malay before. Of course, I've seen a lazy Malay, but I guess this is not a race issue, but more of a person's issue. These are one of my red flags, racist. I didn't feel like that now in my current workplace. We are all very accepting despite having multicultural colleagues and I am very delighted to work with them because they are very, very supportive and cooperative. But if someone do make a racist remarks or negative point of view, especially on first meeting basis, you should know that you can be part of the drama in the future. So it is always best to avoid the situation before it gets worse or if it's possible, make them change your thoughts. Sarah had also had experiences with racism at her previous workplace. Being in a multiracial country, one hopes that racial harmony can be achieved wherever we go. But sadly, that isn't always the case. There are a few solutions when faced with problems like this. One can either convince them that the stereotypes they believed are wrong through our own words and actions, or seek help from the higher-ups to talk to them about their behavior. Or, if said people are part of the higher management, then you would have no choice but to either put up with it or leave the company, depending on the severity and circumstances of the issue. It's not to say it's entirely bad that I stay on and face all this issue because by the time I left the company, I learned so many things and through all these ordeals and challenges, I think it kind of molds into someone stronger, someone who can take up challenges. If you can survive this type of toxic environment in your company, right, when you found a better one, right, you'll be really at peace with who you are. When a complete overhaul of the organization is required to fix this underlying problem, sometimes the easy solution is to just bow out and find better prospects elsewhere. It's easier to do so when you're just an intern or still on your probation. Both of these are not only a period to train you to join the working world and adapt to the company's work culture, but it's also a chance for you to test the waters and figure out if the job and company is a good fit for you as well. And don't let the fear of being labelled a job hopper stop you from protecting yourself from a toxic workplace. Turning down an offer to continue working full-time after your internship or probation ends is well within your rights as an employee. Which brings me to my own story. I have also had a negative experience with a place I had once done my internship in the past. However, in my case, desperation had blinded me to the many red flags that were already present before I even got the job. You see, my internship semester had come up back when COVID-19 was still at its peak in Malaysia and the vaccine had just begun to roll out in phases. Due to the severe lack of internship opportunities in fields that I was interested in, I found myself desperately googling for suitable openings. And then I found one. It was a physiotherapy and healing center at a very famous mall. The job description included video editing and production, social media and website management. Responsibilities that I felt were manageable and related to my interests and studies. The mall was also accessible by public transportation, 
which was a plus as I did not have a car of my own. And them being the only company that replied to my application made it seem like the obvious choice to go for. Getting the job was super easy. Everything was discussed, signed and submitted over WhatsApp. And just like that, I had landed an internship. I only realized what I had signed up for on my first week on the job. The office was a small one, and despite most of the staff working hybrid on rotation due to the pandemic, most of the time, the staff would be fighting for a seat and a plug point to charge our laptops. Not only was this not a conducive place to work, but though we frequently sanitized the premises, it was unsettling being cooped up together in a small space like that, considering we were not even vaccinated yet at that point. The second thing was that I never met my supervisor the entire time I worked there and we only ever talked over WhatsApp to discuss my intern reports and documents. On my first day, I met with someone from HR who introduced me to the other interns starting the same day as me, only to realize that the HR rep herself was an intern. And within an hour, I had come to learn that the entire place was practically run by interns alone. While most of the physiotherapists were permanent employees, the only other permanent staff on the administrative side were the owner and head physician of the facility, who insisted everyone call him master, the head of finance, and the intern supervisor who was never there. Old interns were training new interns until they left, and the cycle had gone on for years as a way for the company to save on paying anyone a full salary. And speaking of a salary... Both the job advertisement and contract had a fishy statement on what the internship allowance was. Both had stated that an allowance of 400 ringgit would be provided. But a few lines down, it also stated in a misleading and confusing sentence that made it unclear if we were entitled for claims on top of the allowance. Upon joining the company, I learned that there was no allowance at all. And while claims were provided for transportation and lunch for every day that we came into work, there was also a cap on said claims, and since small food was not cheap, this meant that even if I came to work every single day of the month, I could barely make 150 ringgit of my own money back. And I was not compensated for my time, skills or efforts beyond those claims at all. And remember the job description? All those different tasks I was interested to explore? Well, all of us who had applied for the multimedia internship were assigned to be video editors, even those from IT backgrounds who had never learned video editing. I watched as each batch of new interns joined, then, realizing they had been fooled too, decided to drop out of the internship as it didn't align with their cost structure or interests. Initially, I didn't mind the video editing job, as it was something I usually enjoyed. And then, after my training was completed, I learned of the daily quota. You see... The company's marketing basically relied heavily and entirely on pumping out tons of videos on social media on their treatments, testimonies, and videos of the master giving exercise tips. Each editor on the team was given a daily quota of 8 videos each to edit, and they would not count until after they were vetted and re-edited until the master was happy with each single video, so it was barely possible to hit the quota within working hours. And if we failed to hit that quota, we would then be forced to work over the weekend and public holidays in order to turn in all our work. So by week two of my internship, I was quite literally working all day, every day on these videos. 
from the moment I woke up to the moment I went to bed. Another breach on my contract, which had clear working hours for five days a week. My daily intern log was filled with the same boring task day in and day out, to the point that I started to hate video editing, something that I used to enjoy doing and was an outlet for my creativity. The ridiculous amount of screen time was also leaving me with constant headaches and body aches. And by week three, I had become the head of the video editing team as I was now the most senior intern there. And that was quite possibly the fastest promotion I will ever have in my career, including all the additional responsibilities that I now had. While I was initially determined to get through the internship as it was only for 15 weeks, in the end, I only worked there for 5 weeks in total. The stress and monotony was starting to take a toll on me, and I was often breaking down into tears from the mental and physical fatigue. In a weird form of a blessing, I had been forced to take some extended time off for medical reasons, which I used as an excuse to drop out of the internship altogether. I remember the master calling me up and begging me to stay on, telling me I could take as much time off as I needed until I recovered, and that when I came back, he would bring my quota down to only three videos a day, as long as I promised not to tell the other interns. However, this phone call did nothing to deter me. Instead, it strengthened my resolve. They needed me more than I needed them. They had everything to gain from me, but I had gained nothing from them. A few months later, as I was scrolling through my Twitter feed, I came across a post shared by a university student. It was a list of companies given by the professor of blacklisted companies they would discourage their students from applying to. Others were adding on to this thread with companies that were not on the list and sharing their own experiences, some similar to mine and others very different. And yes, you guessed right, I was not at all surprised to find that several people had added this company to the list and had all hated every minute of working there just like me. Looking back at the entire experience now, I see so many red flags that I wish I had not been blind to or too ignorant to even recognize them as red flags. But I choose to see it now as a learning opportunity, as I now know what red flags to look out for when looking for a job for myself or advising future interns and fresh graduates to be wary of. So, here are some of the red flags I learned from my experience. First of all, never let desperation cause you to jump at whatever opportunity comes your way without first verifying if the job is legit. If the job advertisement is not on a trustworthy site, like the company's official careers page, established job search platforms like LinkedIn and JobStreet, or shared by legitimate social media accounts that verify the information, don't apply for the job. Also, it is not normal for an entire job interview and offer to be done over WhatsApp without ever seeing the supervisor or hiring manager's face, even during a pandemic. And finally, never let your fear of upsetting the system keep you a silent victim. If you strongly believe you are being treated unfairly, being exploited, or not being given what you are owed, then do not be afraid to voice out or walk out. I hope today's episode was one full of lessons for you. Don't be victim to a bad organization. 
you don't have to hate your job like most work-life memes imply is the norm. If you're really lucky and are careful to avoid any red flags and toxic workplaces, you might just end up finding your dream job much sooner than you think. Good luck! Thank you for listening to this episode of Grad Malaysia's TMI podcast. Don't forget to check out our website, gradmalaysia.com, and all our social media platforms for more career advice and fun content. That's G-R-A-D-M-A-L-A-Y-S-I-A. Join us again on our next episode. Bye!